Hi everyone, it's Gina and Earth, and you're listening to Unpacked Global Citizens. Every episode, we'll explore the topics of home, community, language, and belonging. Our guests are people like you, who are global citizens from all walks of life, who will take you through their ups and downs and lessons learned. We hope to share with you practical advice and personal insights on what it means to be uprooted and how to make the most of it. So whether you've just settled into your new home, about to make a big move, or thinking of a change, this one's for you. Finding Harmony in Differences, the universal language of music with Esme Wong. Today, we welcome Esme Wong to the podcast. Her story is one of adventure, resilience, and passion. Born in Malaysia in a Malaysian-Chinese family, Esme has spent the past 15 years exploring the world and making it her own. Her journey began when she left her home country to attend UWC and a music conservatory in Italy. This experience springboarded her journey across continents to complete her bachelor's and master's degree in music in the U.S. Esme is a trained classical pianist and professional opera coach who has been using music as a vehicle for social change. Music is more than just notes on a page. It is a language that can bring people together and drive positive change in society. To build stage confidence, she would sign up for extra performances, overcoming nerves through practice and sheer determination. But her story isn't just about music. It's also about her effortless ability to connect with people from all walks of life. Wherever she goes, she makes friends easily by starting with an open mind and accepting differences with innate curiosity for new cultures and places. She finds similarities between people as well as using food as a platform to connect with others. Recently, she moved to Dresden, Germany with her husband for the next chapter in their journey. We hope that her story resonated with you and that you will be able to take something away from it. Thank you with a big smile. Hi, Asmi. Welcome. Hi, Earth and Gina. Thank you for having me today. It's a pleasure to have you with us. To kick things off, Asmi, could you tell us a bit about yourself? Well, my name is Asmi Wan, and I have a Chinese name. It's mm-hmm. Kwang Su Rui. And I am from Sarawak, um, Borneo, side of Malaysia. I'm 32 years old this year, and I'm currently uh, living in Dresden, Germany. Okay. Great. And I guess you skip a lot of the things between Malaysia and Dresden, Germany, right? Could you tell us a bit more about all the places that you have lived in? What brought you there? And what do you currently do? Okay, let's start from the very, very beginning. So mm-hmm. I was born in a city called Cebu, which is also from the um, Sarawak, the state of Malaysia. And mm-hmm. when I was seven years old, we moved to Kuching. And that's where I grew up. I would say that's where I grew up for most part of my life. Like I went to primary school there and Mm -hmm. high school. And then later on, right after high school, I was selected to attend United Work College of the Adriatic in Mm -hmm. Italy. So the Mm -hmm. school is situated at a small city or I would say a small village called Duino. We are very, very close to the... I would say the closest city would be Trieste. 
I would say that I lived there for like about two years. It's like a study abroad with dorm. Like, is that what you call it? Boarding school. Yeah. Boarding school. Is that yes. Where you guys know each other from? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. that's where Asmi and I met. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then from there, because of our school, we have a really good scholarship program that's provided mm-hmm. by the United World College, the organization. I think most of us, not just me, we moved to the United States. So I was attracted to these small liberal arts schools. It's a private liberal arts school in Decorah, Iowa. So it's another small town in mm-hmm. the United States. It's a very, very cute, actually, it's a very, very cute college town where they are hugely influenced by Norwegian culture. Oh. So yeah, very, very interesting. Yeah, actually, it's quite touristy. A lot of people travel there just to have a quick like weekend getaway. Mm-hmm. And I remember the air is just really, really fresh. And it's really like not super packed with people. It's the most people I met are the locals who are welcoming the college students. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not a huge population. And from there, I moved to a bigger city for my master's. So I actually moved to Texas. And to mm-hmm. be specific, the city I was at is another college town. It's called Danton. But I always mm-hmm. tell people that I live in the Dallas Worth area because it is very interesting. Dallas Fort Worth, there are two cities in the same place, but mm-hmm. they are each one hour away from mm-hmm. each other. So super close. And mm-hmm. people usually just say, I live in the DFW area. And Denton, as students, it is very, very common. I'm a musician, by the way. So we will study in Denton in the college, mm-hmm. but we will commute to Dallas or Fort Worth for gigs or for jobs. Mm-hmm. So it's Mm. in other suburbs around it. And then from there, I recently moved to Dresden, Germany. And this is my third week here. Uh, My experience here, I mean, I loved it because I love the buildings. They are divided into old town and new town. Mm -hmm. I just personally love the old town because the old town offers a lot of the Baroque architecture, Mm -hmm. like Rococo style. And also they were post-war city. So actually, mm. you could see a lot of the buildings are still affected by the war. But the new town actually is where I lived at my apartment. It's nice. It's mm-hmm. very vibrant with young people. But it is filled with more like, I would say, liberal, liberal, like mm. graffiti, graffiti arts. And some mm. of it is actually kind of pretty. In the sense, what I'm trying to say is that because they allowed graffiti, like freedom of graffiti, wherever you want to, it's not really illegal per se. But some, they actually hire artists to do like a mural, like gravity wow. mural on the building. So it's a very different new town and the old town part mm-hmm. of Dresden. So a mix of Baroque and graffiti. Very interesting. Yeah, it's so interesting. Yeah. Actually, one of the main reasons we moved to Germany, especially in Dresden, is because my husband is studying a special <laughs> degree here, an artist diploma program. Actually, I was talking to some international students here in Taiwan. If you do this degree, it's equivalent to the PhD or Doctor oh, wow. of Musical mm. Arts degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But over here, it's not popular, like for performance degree, which is actually PhD or we call it DMA, Doctor of mm. Musical Arts, which is more common in Asia and also in US specifically. So a lot of people mm. do that last degree there. Uh, For here, it's a very performance-based. So his goal is to write proposals and to perform. So they, or they give you a grant to perform, which is very interesting. And it's a shorter program. It's Mm -hmm. two years only instead of five. 
or even close to seven years in the United States because you have to write theses and like you have to study basically. Mm. Not to say they don't study here, but it's just a very different <laughs> program. What I was going to say is in the old town, and I love it because they're like super artsy. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm really into that. So Nice. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned earlier on that you're a musician yourself. Yes. Could you maybe tell us a little bit more about that? So I am a classical pianist and my emphasis would be on opera coaching. So what I would do is I will coach classical singers on different operatic period music or also art songs ranging from like Baroque to 20th century music. And what I do is I'm helping the singer to finesse the language because oftentimes operas are sung in multiple different languages. And Mm -hmm. the three main languages are Italian, German, and French. Mm -hmm. I would say my focus right now will be on English. English, uh, Italian, two will be my strength and I'm working on my German language. And particularly, we will focus on helping them to understand the musical interpretation, but not Mm. on their vocal technique, because that will be the job of the opera voice teacher, but Mm -hmm. not an opera coach. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm, So So do you speak Italian? I would think that I was more fluent in it when we lived in Duino because, mm-hmm. I mean, oftentimes we still communicate in English. Okay, this is the funny part. So I was kind of ambitious about it because I love languages. So I started off on a higher level IB Italian course. <laughs> that was terrible. I don't know why I did that. And actually my advisor, uh, we have advisor there and she was like, oh, you could do it because you are a musician and music is a language. So you already know multiple language. So you could just do the higher level. I was like, okay. I took it. I'm not going to lie. It was terrible like for like a whole <laughs> semester. And I was like almost like in panic mode because we have to actually take that as part of our IBSM. So uh-huh. that language. So I was like, can I please switch to like, I think I took B level or something like that. So I would say I use mostly in the class and maybe at the grocery shop. But again, really, if I forgot how to speak it or whatnot, I felt uncomfortable. I think because that village, Duino, it's full of international students. And I still remember the grocery store owner, it's Sergio, and he's super nice. And he would just be okay if you speak English. Mm-hmm. He wants mm-hmm. it. But again, back to your question about speaking Italian, I would say I'm more fluent in the sense that for Italian diction, which is different, because Italian diction, it's not communication like it's more like literature, like the way how mm-hmm. you pronounce it and the meaning, of course. And usually I could do, if I don't understand it, I could still like do more research on it, on the mm-hmm. score. It's more like mm-hmm. a the libretto. And so you coach opera singers, as you said, right? You also perform as a pianist too, Asmi? Yes. So this is a very interesting because when I'm home, like usually I'm hired to do more solo repertoire. Okay, because mm-hmm. at home, the idea of pianist is if I told them, and in fact, I'm doing more chamber and opera, like I would do corepetitor, which means that it's the behind the scene, like we'll prep mm-hmm. the singers before they actually sung with the orchestra. So it's mm-hmm. all behind the scenes up to the one week they have a rehearsal with the orchestra. And that's when we are like done with our work. However, it's not very common in Malaysia especially my side of Malaysia, I think right now, currently in Malaysia, they are building some opera companies too. But Mm. 
since I don't live there, I don't have much connection to that part of the world. I've met a couple singers and did more like chamber music with them performance. Mm. But when I'm home, usually they hire me as a solo pianist because that's what they know me for since I was young. But mm-hmm. in the US, actually, I sort of do like a mixed. If I have a say in what I can perform, and mm-hmm. I'll usually perform like maybe one or two repertoire just based on high view, like mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. suits the program. Because usually we try to do a program that has a theme or whatnot. So then I will do my solo repertoire. But if not, I would say almost like 80% of my performing career right now is solely chamber music, which is like mm. duo, trio, or quartet with instrumentalist, mm-hmm. or I will accompany singers and work mm. for opera companies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. How was your experience moving to Italy, Asmi? I understand that was the first time being far away from home and you were also mm-hmm. juggling being a full-time student like IB student mm-hmm. and also a musician studying in the conservatory on top of it yeah okay so I would say first of all the IB part of the program was very difficult and I already mm-hmm. knew about that I think I did a little bit just a little bit of research on it Because it is from coming from, I didn't went to any private school or whatnot in Malaysia, but coming from our government local high school, I think it's quite challenging from our syllabus to match with what IB needs. And IB is already known as a very difficult program for after high school. So mm-hmm. I often find my time, I couldn't balance myself from studying and also try to practice as much as I could. Mm. So I remember the conservatory, the teachers. I mean, it's nothing terrible. It's very common. They will want to expect more out of us from mm-hmm. performing and whatnot and practicing. And especially chamber music isn't easy because you have to practice with someone. And you need to know the parts, not just your piano part, but on top of that, you need to know the violin part. Or if you're in trio, you need to know the violin and the cello part. And I was way too young. We were like 18, almost 18. And I don't have much chamber experience as in trio or duo with violinist or whatnot at that time. I have very tiny experience from what I can gather from my hometown. So everything is very new to me. So for me, my biggest challenge there was actually the time. I just don't find like I have hmm. enough time to do everything. And what about the um, kind of being away from home, being in an international environment? Was that difficult for you or, or it was kind of natural? I would say difficult as in I kind of missed home at the beginning and just everything was just so different there. But I kind of blend in right away. I would say because I'm a personally a more outgoing person and I grew mm-hmm. up in a multiracial community. Like in Malaysia, it's very, very common. I think almost every day I see different people besides like I am a Malaysian Chinese, but mm-hmm. like we have all, we have all this like Malays, Indians, and also the, I would say the native people, like they're called Oran Iban, Oran Ulu, Kalabi. There's a lot of different people that just live within our community. And mm. even in schools, it's a very diverse, multiracial mm. country. So I'm used to seeing different people and accepting differences. Mm. Because I would see some people be more difficult, not to say they are selfish or anything or whatnot. Because like, just talk about language. 
I am used to listen to different languages and I don't find it uncomfortable. I just need to find a way to adapt to everyone's language. Like even though mm. in UWC everyone spoke English, actually most people. I remember mm-hmm. a couple of times that I mean I speak English. I wouldn't say it's like perfect or anything, but I have to get used to how other people like speaks English and try to understand just mm. English, which everyone mm. understood, but like everyone speak it so differently. Mm. So so many accents, yeah. so many broken. Yeah, English. so many accents. <laughs> yes, I was like okay, I'm like. I felt like I blend in pretty well, and I already mm. know that. I, I was prepping. I know I'm gonna meet different people, which actually I was so excited about because I was like, "How many schools are there that you could meet? Like 103 or 104 people from different countries? Like mm-hmm. that's insane." Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, that's so interesting. I've never really thought about it before since we all speak English and it's the language mm-hmm. that we communicate with one another. But the fact that it's true. There are so many ways to speak English, right? I'm just thinking about the German yeah. way, which is something you need to get used to, I guess, now that you live yeah. in Dresden. But also in Thailand, how we speak English, it's so different mm-hmm. as well. I've never really thought about that. Even English as this more universal language is also localized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember like Earth and I have a common friend, like a close friend, Cindy. I think I remember mm-hmm. I told her I was like, "Oh, your English is so international," and I meant it like, and she's like, "What?" I'm like, "I meant like it's so easy to understand. It's so clear. Mm. Like I felt like she has like no accent. Like I was like, I get it. I was like, I get it right away." Yeah, I guess she speaks kind of like neutral American accent. Yes, like yeah. neutral. Yeah, and then she's But from anyway. Hong Kong. Yeah. <laughs> and Asmi, then what was it like for you then going from Italy to the U.S.? Was that experience different? How did you find the experience moving to the U.S. after living in Italy? Mm-hmm. So I think the language-wise, I'm just okay. Well, everyone speaks English now, so and that's like pretty like not to say like I just felt like more natural in a way. But actually, mm-hmm. I was not very comfortable with that English speaking because some people have very strong like Midwestern accent. Mm. Which I mean, it's not really bothering me, but I still like what I say before. I was not really picking up some of the words, and actually, mm-hmm. they have a lot of slang and more like what Americans comfortable using. I don't know how to explain that, but like they are in like definitely English words, but like I just didn't know that. That's how they call. It. Oh, one thing I remember now. I say toilet. Like if I want to go, like where's the toilet? So if I go to the US, mm. they were like, "Wait, what?" Like I remember I asked that because I live in a dorm and I asked my roommate. She said, "What is toilet? Did you learn British English?" I was like, <laughs> "Oh, I didn't know that because it wasn't a problem when I was in. Do we know when I? I don't know. Like when I ask people, because mm. in the US they don't say toilet; they say restroom. I think mm. I believe or bathroom. Mm-hmm. Bathroom, yeah. But I was like, "Oh, bathroom is where you go to shower." Like for my understanding. Because mm. the English that we learn in Malaysia is British English, because we're ruled by British. So to me, toilet it's only place used for you know toilet. But yeah, it's like I have to like pick it up, and I guess soccer game that's a basic one, not football. Mm. And I would say okay, like leaving situation and whatnot. Americans, my roommate was great, but she's kind of quiet. My first roommate. She's kind of quiet, and compared to when I was in Italy, I have Italian roommates. Uh, they're kind of crazy, but not in a bad way. Like they're just out. So, which I wasn't expecting that because, like in the US, we watch the shows 
so much and people are kind of out and loud and going. I was expecting that, more of that. Mm -hmm. And I myself am an outgoing person. But after that, slowly, because I live in a dorm, I met other people and other musicians. And I felt like we mixed pretty well, like Mm -hmm. in the sense that we could go out party and have a drink. I mean, Mm -hmm. that time I couldn't really have a drink, but, you know, party like in the dorm or whatnot. Character-wise, it's more similar to me, more outgoing Mm -hmm. and more outspoken. And they're Mm -hmm. very polite. I think they are very polite. Americans are very polite, at least in Midwestern. They are very polite and they always want to try to learn more about you. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the liberal arts college that you went to, was that also really international? So coming from the setup at UWC where it was insanely mm-hmm. international and then moving to your small liberal arts college in Iowa, how was that? Yeah. That's good that you asked me because I was very impressed with the high number of international students in that small liberal arts school. I think because the school is very encouraging. They want diversity. In mm-hmm. fact, how I was impressed and know about that school was because I met the dean, the music dean, at actually at UWC. Mm-hmm. I had my audition actually in Italy. Wow. So they I didn't to have scout to... Too. No, not just got me, but like everyone else too. Because another co, not my co, my our seconda, like my senior, like Fook, found from Vietnam. He went there too, so he just went mm. one year ahead of me. Yeah, it's so interesting because I was so impressed with everything that they provide and their support for international community. Because I have no problem with my visa or any international students required legal matters. Mm-hmm. They are so communicative, like. They are very efficient in their communication and they want to help. I can, that is definitely one thing. And they even have an international office, like a center and where you could just go hang out and ask any questions. And they try Mm -hmm. to organize as many as like one semester have like four or five gatherings Mm -hmm. just for everyone to come. And of course you can bring American friends to go to and celebrate each other's different diverse like activities, like celebrations, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. cultural awareness. So they're super up for that. I'd say. Very cool. And Esme, you mentioned that you love languages. What are the different languages that you speak and how does that change over time? Okay, so the three main languages that I naturally know when I was young was Mandarin, English, and Malay. And Mm -hmm. I also know a couple Chinese dialects. So my dad is um, Fu Chao. It's just a Chinese dialect. And so when I was young, I would grow up I wouldn't say I'm fluent in speaking it right now because I haven't been speaking it a lot, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. I know that language. And then I know Hinhua is my mom's side of Chinese dialect, and I also can understand it. But Mm -hmm. again, not wouldn't, I just need to practice, but not very fluent in speaking it. Mm. And I know Hokkien because that is a lot of Chinese in Kuching, where I grew Mm -hmm. up, speaks Hokkien. Even though they don't have to be Hokkien, but that is just a dialect that is widely used mm-hmm. in everyday life. And Cantonese too. So Cantonese is not as strong on my mm-hmm. side of Malaysia, but it's widely used in actually in Kota Kinabalu, like Sabah, which is another mm-hmm. state of Borneo Island and also West Malaysia. So like, for example, Kuala Lumpur. So the capital city of Malaysia. So a lot of Chinese speak Cantonese. And I know it because I grew up watching Hong Kong drama with my mm. family. So I just naturally know it. But I think if I practice it, I could actually speak it. Wow. But mainly I spoke 
I would say my mother tongue would be Mandarin because that's what I speak with my family. And English is widely used in my life because some of my friends in Malaysia don't even speak other languages except English, which is kind of common because their parents also only speak English only.、Really? I really truly think that it was because the influence of the British, and English used to be the official language at least from Sarawak, my state. Some of my friends cannot even speak Mandarin, even though they are Chinese. They just speak English. Maybe they will understand it, but they don't feel comfortable、mm. speaking it. Okay.、Mm. Yeah, yeah. And so I speak mostly with my home friends in English. We type in English too, but it might be like a Malaysian English, you know, like maybe just different accent and different way of using. Can you give、vocab. us an example? What's Malaysian English like?、Um, okay, let's see. We add in like some Malay words, like for example. I want to go to eat la or something. La is like a Malay thing, I guess.、Mm. So you said Mandarin, English, Malay,、mm-hmm. and like I don't know three、Hokkien. or four other dialects. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hokkien, Cantonese. Yeah, and the one with your dad's family. Oh, the Fuchao, like Fuchao. Fuchao. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow, so, <laughs> so many. many! And you also mentioned earlier that music is a language, which、mm-hmm. I love that idea and find it very、mm-hmm. intriguing.、Mm-hmm. Can you expand on that? A little bit, and maybe talking about when you started your musical journey.、Mm-hmm. I completely agree with the statement. As cheesy as it sounds, like music、mm-hmm. is a language, because actually a lot of music festival that we attend, like、mm-hmm. speaking of language, like sure they explain it in English most of them because English is widely known as an international language,、mm-hmm. but sometimes people don't understand. I have remember I went to a festival. There was this French. Violinist, and he doesn't get what the conductor wants、mm-hmm. from him, but he could still do it because in music itself, you know, there are notes and there are musical terms that just widely share much、mm-hmm. other. So you kind of have can get the sense of what he wants, the conductor wants, even though he didn't really understood the English that、mm-hmm. he was speaking.、Mm-hmm. And it's funny because the conductor is Italian. Sometimes I don't really get the English either, but it's fine. <laughs> but it, that's okay. But we all understood it. And、mm. also for my very very recent experience, I just moved here, as I say, to Dresden for the third week right now,、mm-hmm. and I have very limited knowledge of my German. So、mm. I just taught like five new students actually yesterday. In German, yeah. People were asking me. I think most German knows a little bit of English, but I、mm-hmm. was asking the kids, and they were like, "No." But I was like, okay, so I have to do it in German, and I still mix it with English because I explained today in the beginning I am not very good with German yet. I have to、mm-hmm. mix with English. Oh, it was very challenging because I was like, oh god, my explanation was very limited.、Mm-hmm. But however, I feel like the lessons are successful because they did what I asked them to do,、mm-hmm. just through like music notes, because I'll point and say a little bit of things. And kind of show them like what I want them to do, and ask them to follow me.、Mm-hmm. And because of that, even like as young as like a, I have a six-year-old student, and he could do it. Like he was doing loud, soft, and counting it. I learned that even counting in German musical system is different.、Mm. It's not like what I learned. Even in music itself, like I find it there. I call it like in my understanding, 
their dialect. It's like what I know is like the general musical mm-hmm. vocabulary. And then in other countries, people use it differently. Mm. Wow, I didn't. Yeah, I, I didn't did know, know that. Like, that. I need to like memorize. So right now, I have to memorize, which I already did memorize to suit the American style. Because an American, so for example, I hope we have some listeners who know music. For example, the quarter note in America is called quarter note. But mm. what I grew up is because of British system, we call it crotchet. Mm. So I have to memorize quarter note, half note, whole note, and in British, it's like crotchet, and half note is minimum. And then whole note, it's semi-brief. It's completely like two different words. Mm. So I have to switch it for my American system for music. Mm. In college, it was so, I was like very confused. (laughs) But I have to memorize it because I need to graduate. Mm. But now in Germany, I have to change it again. However, Mm. the notes are the same. Mm -hmm. You know, that would not change the basic. But it's just the counting. There are some German terms too and all that. And also talking about languages at home, as me, I you recently did a post where you said you had just been at home in Malaysia for the first Lunar New Year in 15 years, right? As you yeah. were trying to get your family reunion visa for Germany, moving from the US, and that was mm-hmm. kind of a whirlwind. Could you tell us a bit more of, you know, what that experience has been like? Okay, it was overwhelming as I expected. Because, <laughs> okay, Lunar New Year in Malaysia, we just exaggerate everything. I've talked to my friends in China, for example, like how they celebrate it because in Malaysia, all the Chinese people celebrate the Lunar New Year because of the, we are the high, like one of the second highest like ethnicity there. So mm-hmm. it's a widely celebrated community celebration, you know, and mm-hmm. it originated from China. So I always think it's so overwhelming because it's like nonstop eating. Like you could eat like seven meals a day. Like you just <laughs> nonstop eating, nonstop drinking. Because it's like happy. It's always happy. And also, actually, firecrackers are legal in my hometown. So it's like nonstop firecrackers. Like, actually, mm. it's kind of sad for the pets. Because some of my friends have pets and their dog is just like frightened the whole night. Oh, no. I know. It's terrible. And people are just like, wow. It's always like party mode for like literally like a whole week. And why I say it's overwhelming because I have to meet because since I haven't been back for this festival and mostly it focuses on family. So I have to meet like all my family members. I mean like cousins and then friends too. You have to visit mm. friends. I just feel like I wasn't even have enough time to rest. Mm. I'm not kidding. Like one day you could visit like five different people. Wow. <laughs> Everyone's just trying to like meet you and blah. Like just going crazy. <laughs> and I mean, it's my favorite festival, but... I feel so connected to it, but I couldn't go back for it for most of the part of my life because of the American holiday system. So mm. it's usually fall in the January or February, but we don't have holidays during that time. So I had to be in school, I'll be working. So it's just like not worth the time mm. to go back. It's just like way too far. And this time I'm just too lucky because I actually have a break. Mm-hmm. So while well, I'm waiting for everything to settle, so we decided to go back and I could also pick up my visa at the same time. So it's like win-win situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you haven't been back or you haven't been living in Malaysia for the last 15 years. You've been abroad for 15 years now. I, well, let me think. I'm 32 now, but I left when I was like 17 or I was like 18. So I haven't lived at home since 18. But I visit, usually I visit for a month. 
this is the longest I visited. It was like three months and plus like extra mm-hmm. two weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you still consider it home? Is it where you feel most at home? Or how has that changed for you maybe over the years? Yeah, I felt like I have many homes <laughs> in my opinion. Like, yes, Malaysia is always going to be home for me because I do my very best to keep in touch with most of my friends too who lived there. And I don't know, like I always felt very welcome when I'm home. But also mm-hmm. I feel like my home in the US, not just Texas actually, like this is pretty random. So Minnesota to me is always a home for me because when I was studying in Luther, I really made really good friends from Minnesota. And I actually call them the Geist family. That's their last name, Geist. And they have hosted me ever since I arrived in the US, like my first Thanksgiving mm-hmm. or Easter break. So I always go back to them like mm-hmm. once and we have a really good relationship. Not just me and my friend David, but literally like his whole family and his high school friends too. And they are just like a suburb and I know mm-hmm. his high school friend and even the high school friends, fam- like parents. So mm-hmm. sometimes I go back to Minnesota, he wasn't there and I just like go stay with like his high school friend's mom or something because some of them work mm-hmm. abroad. Like already um, work abroad and all that. And also Decora. Like I have a very close, I call it family friend. My friend, the Jensen family, because I'm almost always there for any break. They're always just so welcoming to me. And yeah, I often feel like if I can have two homes, it will be the States and Malaysia. Mm, very mm-hmm. nice. And you have this amazing ability to connect with people, ask me, and You know, you said you're very outgoing, but it seems that like even in UDC in Italy, you are always around people, you make friends very easily, everyone knows you. And it seems like these traits also travel with you to the U.S. Even your friends or friends' families have also become your families. It seems a little bit like effortless for you in a way compared to my own experience or other people. What do you think has helped you to adjust and make new friends and family so easily wherever you go? Well, just myself, I don't know. I just genuinely want to, when I'm invited to join a community or whatnot, I just genuinely want to know like how they are or Mm -hmm. what their lifestyle is. I already know it's probably going to be different or I try to find similarity and just try to stick on that. I don't know. I can accept differences quite naturally. And honestly, Mm. it doesn't just come, especially in high school, I think I grew Mm -hmm. to accept it even more because it takes me also years to like accept and learn differences. I'm okay with differences. Mm -hmm. And it really goes with like from my background as a Malaysian. I really think so. So for example, I think one big topic that Everyone's always talking about is the religion, let's say. I know it's mm-hmm. a it's a big deal for everybody, you know, religion. Either you believe or don't believe. But mm-hmm. in my hometown, or at least my country, like we are a Muslim country. But literally there are so many other religions going on. And one of the proudest things I love about my country is that like we are okay to celebrate other people's religion in public. They could just keep going. You don't celebrate, it's fine. No one's gonna be like, why is that going on? Like no one questioned it. They just let it be. Mm-hmm. And also mm. the food. I know it sounds like food, but it's a big deal. I think like I met so many people, they cannot accept or eat or even try different food. And they mm. get very uncomfortable. But I'm okay 
trying <laughs> all kinds of food. Like, because you both are like Thai and you're half Thai. It's so funny because Thai food, it's like so getting like a hype in my country. Like people are like, oh, I learned how to cook in Thailand. Like, I'm We like, don't blame you. Yeah, <laughs> because it's so good. Like, I feel like our country, we are just so accepting of other people. Mm. Like, they don't just make it like, they kind of dramatize it. That's what I'm trying to say. Even like Korean, I get it. Like, K-pop is going on right now. But everything is dramatized. Like, in Chinese food, you can find like, all kinds of food in my country. Mm-hmm. Despite we already have all kinds of food in our own country because mm-hmm. of different people. Mm. And everyone's willing to try and no one's going to be like, and they all have like, they're not going to be like, why? Like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and their business are going very strong for most of the diverse food. Because mm-hmm. it could be like, this is what I learned. When I don't get used to like, I feel like, oh, this is not, they like the word authentic. I go to US, I eat some of the Chinese food. Not in the big cities. I wouldn't say, because in big cities, they're so diverse. They already have like all kinds mm-hmm. of like, international people. But they were like, I can eat it and I can tell. And they just try to suit the local taste. And people just love it. They will just keep going back. And actually in Germany right now, in Dresden, <laughs> it's mm. one of the big suffer here because I cannot find any good Asian food. In my opinion. Huh. I was like, oh God. Come to I'm Paris. So yeah, go to Paris. <laughs> I know. I know. As I said, big international cities probably fine. But I'm like, mm. oh yeah. my God. Yeah, that but, also was a point of... Uh, yeah, because it's terrible. But people love it. People love it because they think it's so different. But actually, they didn't know that. They just did it to suit their taste. So either yeah. too mm. salty or just so much soy sauce or something. I don't know. Mm. But I love your answers because it's really around the mindset, right? The first thing you said about the food. And the mindset, <laughs> you mentioned that because of the mixed race and multicultural environment in Malaysia, you are already accustomed. And this mm-hmm. gives you an open mindset. And this curiosity to be genuinely interested in other people. I Mm -hmm. I think that's the mindset part. And then the Mm -hmm. food that really connects the world and all of us. (laughs) Yeah. And I also really like what you said about, you know, you try to find and start with the similarities, right? In Mm. other people Mm -hmm. and then work with that. And that just helps kind of kick off this whole experience. Because did you agree? Like, I mean, we're all human. We just speak different. Like we grew up differently, but... There's some things with us, yeah. And when you look back at the different parts of your journey, ask me, were there some difficult moments where you felt, you know, lost, frustrated, or tired? How did you deal with them? Mm-hmm. I would say, like, most of my audition process, because this sounds crazy, but I always feel like I'm a crazy person. Like, I don't know. Actually, sometimes I still cannot believe it. I'm still trying, like, yeah, like, trying to, like, have my musical career, like, as a classical music. It's difficult, Like, it's a difficult career, but I don't think it's what people think. Like, they say, oh, you, you know, oh my gosh, don't. And I understand because they'll be like, if you do music, oh, you're not going to have a good life because it's so difficult and how are you going to make money and whatnot, you know, or the financial stability. Actually, Mm. it's very funny. I never find those are the problem. Having to survive and saving money, it's all your personal choice. You could do any other jobs that people don't think it's good or whatnot. And you still could be able to save. You know what I mean? That wasn't Mm. a big point for me. I'm a person that I practice, like, overcome difficulties by building more confidence. So I think practice Mm. is very important. Mm. So you practice so that you are very confident, even though you are, like, nervous or whatnot. It's on purpose. I try to sign up for many performances as possible in schools to practice to not to be nervous. Because I don't like that nervous feeling. Mm. I think it just really ruins my effort. Because I'm nervous, 
So it ruins my effort of all my practicing. And when I perform, I couldn't truly be myself and deliver my messages that mm-hmm. I want to deliver to the audience as a pianist. So what I do is I just sign up for a lot of performances to practice not to be nervous when I perform. Mm-hmm. Even I am on stage because performing is such a live thing. I just learn how to have to handle it on yeah. stage. So through many performances, you know, in school, in school. So we're speaking back to auditions. Mm-hmm. And I say the challenges is as in, those are the challenges. Number one is the nervous, mm-hmm. like nervous. So I usually learn to, since I have practiced to learn to do with it. And that doesn't mean I don't get nervous. Mm-hmm. Most of the time I don't get nervous, but I still get nervous. At least I know how to control it. Mm. But the challenges is that you just never know what people like or don't like about you in an audition. Like, mm. why other people are being big? And my idea is that I know everyone who has selected to come for auditions, not just talented. I mean, they're just like really good, you know? Everyone's really good. But in the beginning, I find it very hard to believe. I felt, like, oh, that was a good audition. Why am I not being selected? But as time goes along, I think I just learned how to accept it, but not stop, be persistent and perseverance, you know, like just keep going. Because I do think some people do see you as good. And your time will shine when it comes on the right time and the right moment. Mm-hmm. And I usually, when I get super upset about it, I probably will just lay in bed. <laughs> okay, I just don't watch. I just don't go. I just watch drama. Like I love my Asian drama. I just lay in bed and watch my drama. And just for a day, I give myself a time, like a day or two. And then I'm just like, all right, done. I'm just going to okay. get up. And I'm just keep practicing. It makes me feel good because I'm a musician. For me, when I practice and when I tackle all the difficulties, I felt really good about it. And that kind of compensate my negative feelings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like to hear, you know, that's like the element of yeah. self-care that comes into play, right? That even though you are this very extrovert person, you need a lot of energy to overcome like your nerves and, you know, the hard times that you go through to prepare for these live performances that sometimes it just does your soul good to have these one or two days in bed, mm-hmm. eating good food and watching your, your soaps. Asian drama. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Being musicians, it's already challenging. And when the moment I say I am going to do it, especially after I graduate from my master's, I don't have a doubt per se, but I was like, which focus I want to go because there's just in music is so much variety it's actually music it's business it's just which genre you want to go for like which mm-hmm. style you want to go for so I find myself a place in opera coaching like back to opera coaching I find myself a stronger stand in there and it seems like going well and people like my style in it so I decided to stay very focused on that because mm-hmm. on the other hand like my husband he is a classical pianist as well but his mm-hmm. route is solo solo pianist Okay. And he has been quite successful with it. And I'm really proud of what he's doing. Like, he has a lot of concerts set up here right now already. And it's been three months. And also, he is about to record his second album, solo album. Wow. With the London label, like, Toccata Classic. So, that's what I'm saying. Even in music itself, it's just a lot of different career paths. And it was quite challenging for me to find which one I need to be focused. I know I cannot do it all. There's no way I could do it all. But I need to stick to one. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I love that you also said, like, practice gives you confidence. Even though you are very outgoing and have done this so many times, you still get nervous sometimes, but really mm-hmm. practice. And mm-hmm. I think that applies to music, but also all areas of life, really. What's your definition of a global citizen, Asmi? 
So my idea of global citizen, I think it's a person who is willing to accept and to learn different cultural lifestyles and Mm -hmm. to believe that different communities are good for the society, you know, like differences Mm. are good for societies. Because the truth is like everyone is different, but we do have some similarities between us. And that's when we can live harmoniously, if we can find an agree point, like in values, in like life Mm. values. And it's actually very hard to learn how to accept differences, I think. I really think because of my experiences with mixing with so many different people, like from UWC and from my home. So it's just like kind of become natural. Like Mm. this is Mm -hmm. the world. I feel like my life, I'm so fortunate. I really think I'm so blessed because I get to put in that kind of situation right away. Mm. Like that's just how like I was born in a country like that. And then after that, it leads me to another community. Like my first Mm. abroad, it's to know so many different people from different Mm -hmm. countries. Like, Mm. I just need to get used to it. Mm. Because I know I like to use the example of food, but it's so true. Because in UWC, everybody cooks different kind of food. And Mm. you're not sure some people like it or not. Because they think curry Mm. is too strong. And I think cheese is too strong. I don't like cheese. So I'm like, (laughs) okay, well, you got to fight. Well, get used to Mm. it. This is how it's going to be. You know what I mean? Mm. So, and then in the dorms, like, you know, sometimes I find it like in America, because most of them are Americans. So I remember a couple of times, actually, when me and my Vietnamese friend were cooking, they'd be like, can you guys don't, they didn't say directly, but I don't <laughs> like the smell of, I'm not Hold used to, no, 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 that's, <laughs> like, I'm not used to the smell of the, you know, the sauce or something. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> Is it okay if you just maybe open the windows? They say it away. But I was like, I wasn't trying to be mean, but I was like, okay, I think I talked to them, like after that, like privately. I just say that, well, you got to get used to it. This is a dorm and we're going to practice our culture here. So, I mean, or whatever. Like, I can do whatever I want. Just like you can do whatever you want. I'm not used to what you... Like, I can't remember what I say, but something like that. Mm. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I love what you said. And you attributed the environment in which you grew up in that helps to foster Mm-hmm. this right but you also should give yourself a credit that it's not only the environment but i think it's also your mindset and how you approach it right because there are definitely mm-hmm. examples of people who grew up in a diverse setup but that doesn't really make them mm-hmm. aware or accept different ah, i see based on all of your journeys ask me what are the accomplishments that you are most proud of and why Mm, okay. During during the COVID nineteen situation in America, it's mm. quite terrible. Actually, mm-hmm. in Texas, I mean, I was not directly being attacked, but I do know a lot of my friends who live in New York City and LA as mm. Asians. They were actually, yeah, it was quite dangerous for them. And some of them are actually just American Asian. They're not even like from. They just assume they're like from like China and just start calling everyone, everyone you know, mm-hmm. the ignoring people. I don't know. I was like. I always wear my identity on my sleeves. Like I'm actually like to know that I'm really proud of who I am, like wherever I go. Mm-hmm. So what I did was I just wanted to stood out because we have this music community and not me, but someone started like just like an Asian music community in the classical scene. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to try to start to spread. the. I just think of I have more spare time than usual. I'm just going to spread the beauty of Asian arts like through music. Mm-hmm. So what I did was like, I recorded like every day, like different Asian music, not just like Malaysian, but like Indonesia, like anyway, like I asked for collaboration with all my friends in the community who is willing to do it. 
And it should mm-hmm. take a lot of time, like to make one video, because we have mm-hmm. to practice our part and she or he has to practice his part. One of the most challenging one was like, we have like six musicians in one video. So mm-hmm. me and my Mongolian friends, and then she go ahead and ask other people to do it. And we put it all together and we present it. And honestly, I'm proud of it because I feel like my messages came across and it gets mm-hmm. a lot of attention. Even like the local newspaper from Denton, where I lived, was asking me for like an interview. They just want to know, like to know more. Actually, in fact, they're not wanted to know, wanted to know more about, oh, what is this movement is to fight against Asian hate. But it's just, they want to know more about Asian arts because they mm. felt like they don't know much about it. So yeah. it was very interesting. They want to know that. And I'm okay with that. And because, you know, oftentimes we in classical world, that classical Asian music, but it wasn't just, wasn't promoted. Yeah. And also very recently, actually, I'm home. I was so proud that I was uh, recognized and they asked me to perform a solo at the Sarawak, Sarawak is my state parliament like a state legislative assembly. And that place, honestly, only politician could get in or you're invited. So mm. I was really happy that they could recognize me, mm-hmm. which is a big deal for me because to be honest, I think our country could do better in supporting local artists. And that's mm. one thing that I really think that other countries are doing so well, which we are not. Because even just talk about our neighboring country, like Indonesia, they are on local artists. They don't need to be like in Hollywood or whatnot and they could survive because mm-hmm. their own whole country could just listen to their own music and they get incomes just from that, mm-hmm. you know? And oftentimes our country always be like, oh, all artists are away from home. But the thing is they don't support it. Like classical and even Michelle Yeoh, let's talk about Michelle Yeoh, which is like a super famous now. She's Malaysian and she's still Malaysian. She Love wasn't her. even recognized until recent year. Mm-hmm. And she already been famous for over like, I feel like Crazy. 30, 40 years. Yeah. yeah, and no, our country don't even, until recent. And it's like kind of funny. She already achieved so much, like more than me, like crazy. I think that is one, if I'm able to speak up for, for my community, mm-hmm. which I try to do more and I'm starting to think more. I want to bring it back, which I try every year when I go home to do something. Mm-hmm. But it's not like, it just has not been sustainable. What do I say? Yeah. It's inspiring to see how you have used music and the arts as a vehicle for social change. Asmi, thank you for sharing all of your experiences, lessons learned, and how you have used music in so many different avenues of your life and for social change. To wrap up the conversation today, what would be your parting advice to our listeners? Or it could be a message to your younger self. Younger self. Okay. Mm -hmm. Patience, I think. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I definitely think that I need to be more patient in everything because I'm okay with doing things, but I want to see the results really fast. Like I said, if I learn a piece, I visit music again because that's just my career. If I learn a new piece, I want it to be able to finish it like right at the end of my practice session, which is not going to be possible. Just letting you all you know, it's not possible because mm. one movement is probably like 30 pages. So it's like, or like 15. Okay. I'm maybe exaggerating a little bit, but it's not sustainable at all. And patience, it goes a long way for like, all of us. And I think just in life in general, not just job, just like mm-hmm. looking for like, just in anything, I think in life. Because sometimes I feel like people who give up because they were not patient enough. So they could have blossomed in or achieved what they wanted to do. But because they were not patient enough to see the, enjoy the journey. Let's just say that. And just stay diligent mm-hmm. and persistent about what you want to do in life. 
Thank you so much, Asmi, for yeah, sharing your you. story with us. No, thank you so much for a fun afternoon. It was great. No, really. It's our pleasure. Thank you, thank everyone. You, we'll see you in the next episode. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to another episode of Unpack Global Citizens with your hosts, Earth and Gina. We're so happy to have you in our community. If you enjoyed this, share it with your friends. Want to share your experiences with us or wish we would ask a particular question? Find us on Instagram and Twitter at unpacked.globalcitizens. Thanks again. Thank you.